0: From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today.
1: Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk.
0: We're back again with Tina Smith and Nadia Hetzel of Cypress Bend
1: Vineyards. In part two, Tina and Nadia tell us more about the local history and how each wine has its own unique connection to the land. And they give us a recommendation on food pairings. Wine Class with
0: the Wine Mouths is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talk to us about Tremonette.
1: This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org.
0: So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're back with Tina and Nadia. So Tina, maybe talk to us a little bit about how the name Cypress Bend came to be.
2: Well, as I said earlier, this farm has been in the family since 1807. And they named the farm Riverton. So that, you know, we have, of course, we have a the first wine we ever wanted to name was Riverton, just for, you know, to keep the family legacy going on. And then as I started looking through and we started feeling that my, my husband grew up here on the farm, so that where he lived, his parents called their house Cypress Bend. And because there's a bend in the river that goes down behind us at the Lumbee River. And we built our house behind that house, right on the bluff at the river so we call our house the landing at cypress bend so when we did the winery or the vineyards first we had to call them cypress bend vineyards because it was all the bend in the river is where we were located so that it had to be (laughs) that was just that was the name from the very beginning so cypress bend vineyards is an honor there's a flat top cypress tree that grows on the on the bend and it's been there for over the 200 years and Cypress trees are usually very straight and tall, and they have, you know, just the regular, you know, feathered out um, limbs. But this one swirls, and you'll see it in our logo, and right. it has this flat top. So John Charles McNeil, who was considered first poet laureate of North Carolina, was a cousin in the family. And a lot of the names of the wines come from his poetry. And um, he talked about the flat top cypress in a lot of his, his poetry and talked about the river, and there, there were a lot of things about the river. There's a, a poem that he wrote called um, Sunburnt Boys, which is about, and we, have, we had a wine for a while. We haven't, we haven't done it here lately, but we had one called Sunburnt Boys. We did a river series. We have a Sweetheart Stream, Sunburnt Boys, and Reminiscence. Those were two poems that he wrote, and the, the first one, The Sweetheart's Dream, was, he also worked for the uh, Charlotte Observer, and he did writings, and he lived from about 1870s until about uh, 1930. And, um, and so he, he did a lot of journalism, and in his journalism, it was more poetic, and it was more storytelling than it was actual journalism, and people enjoyed the way he wrote. So I think that's why he, they probably named him the first poet laureate of North Carolina. Hmm. But when people would ask him how he would describe the Lumbee River, he would say it's a sweetheart stream. And so on that label, we have a picture of the river at the bend with the tree in it, which is an actual picture, and it's right behind our house. And that, you know, that's a sweetheart stream. So you know, we're honoring a lot of John Charles's work. Uh, we have McNeil as a name. Catherine Campbell was the matriarch of the family. So we have a Catherine, we have a Campbell. Um, and we have the poems of John Charles. We have Autumn, which is, it is a, it's a beautiful poem. And you can look these things up on the North Carolina online and you know, find John Charles McNeil and just discover the poetries. And there are several books that have been written. And a lot of the, the family in, um, in Riverton were either writers or they were lawyers or doctors or something. So a lot of them wrote a lot of things about. Um, one of them was the dean of the Wake Forest um, um, school, and so, um, yeah, you know, they just they they had several writings out there. So a lot of history was kept by the family. Um, one of the one of the people was um, Gerald Johnson, and he wrote a book called By Reason of Strength. Which is the full story of Catherine Campbell and Danville White coming over from Scotland and the family growing and his journeys with his uh, ministry and where he was trying to find his congregation that he had seen in his vision. And so, uh, and then, you know, the children and the names and the things that came out of that, and then John Charles, um, you know, with his poetry. So we've woven all of that into um, what we do here just to carry on a family legacy. And the only other thing that people ask us that's funny is that. Um, John Charles um, also was involved with um, one of the um, first temperance societies yeah. in the United States. Hmm. And the family, you know, so that right over here off of 401, you'll see a sign that'll say, John Charles, make me own the temperance hall. <laughs> That's where they had their temperance meetings. So people say, if your family was for temperance, why are you so much for alcohol? And we said, well, that was popular then. <laughs> this is what's popular now. So, you know, um, and that's just the way it happened. And John Charles actually was a state senator, too, and he actually um, was against alcohol. But anyway, I, you know, he might have rolled over in his or <laughs> twice since we put his name on a bottle. But, but you know, what we were trying to preserve was the legacy of the family. So, you know, with his poetry and, and Sunburnt Boys is, was the one that was um, about all of the young men in this area that came to the river and they would they would... There was another area that's a little bit farther up called Jolly Bend, and they would swim there in the mornings, and then they would swim down in the afternoons at the bend behind us, and um, and so um, they would talk about the eddies, ripples, and the, you know, and the coolness of the haunts that they would go to, and the, you know, all those good, wonderful things. And when you read these, it just really brings out all of the feeling of the of the river and the, and the area and what the people felt about it. So. So by using all the family names, and, you know, and since I get to name the wines, there's a one called Christina's Magnolia. <laughs> so I'm actually Christina. So um, I thought, well, I have to get my name in there somewhere. <laughs> you know? so, and and then uh, truth be told, of Catherine, Catherine Campbell spelt her name C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. My mother's name was Catherine, and in her honor, when she passed, we... Spelled it C A T H E R <laughs> I N mean, E. So you know, some people in the Scottish community have pointed that out to me <laughs> that we spelled it wrong, and I said no, we we have the essence of the name, but we spelled it right. <laughs> so the best of both worlds. Yeah, right. So we had to we had to please both mamas. <laughs> so, but um, but that's where you know all the names have come from, and um, and and it's a great story because we can weave that into our tastings and tell people, you know, this wine, and then there's a lot to talk about with each one of those wines. You know, Isabel, which is a wonderful white wine, and we have it in a beautiful bottle with a gold um, capsule or a bronze capsule, And, um, and it's just a very slender looking bottle, but that was John Charles McNeil's first love, and he loved her from afar. He would never tell her that he loved her, and she wound up marrying someone else, and so we wanted to capture that poem in Isabel. And so we have bookmarks that have the poems on them, and so people can you know see what what that's all about. So we tried to compare, you know, like autumn. You've had autumn, mm-hmm. you know, which is a beautiful yeah. red wine, has a wonderful, a um, little bit sweet beginning, but a wonderful velvet dry finish. And that that poem, autumn, is all about you know the harvest and and the last load home kind of thing. And that sort of it just you know you feel that when you're drinking the wine. So so we've tried to pair those with the feelings of. And so it's um, it, it, I think it's been a little bit of a success there, so we've been able to do that. But like I said, Riverton was the family farm name, and so that was Riverton Estate and of course Christina's. And then Livy was, was an interesting story. We called it Livingston, which was my husband's grandfather's middle name was Daniel White Livingston Smith. And, um, and so about a year or so into what we were doing here, I got a phone call one day from E.J. Gallo and they said, you must cease and desist using Livingston. We own the copyright for all things Livingston and wine. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Which I did. But they'll I mean, be sure to tell you. I now. know <laughs> it. And so, so I said, well, what do we do? And they said, well, you just ha- you can't use that name anymore. I said, but I have so much wine already labeled. I said, we're just a small winery. And um, and I said, what do I do? And they, he, he said, well, let me check. I said, how much do you have? And I said, oh. 2,000 cases. We probably had, you know, 50. But I wanted to get to a five-year point with the story. I wanted to use the names of the family and blend it all together. And so um, so I, I told him it was about 2,000 cases. And I said, it's probably going to take me a couple of years to sell that. So um, he said, well, let me check and I'll get back with you. So he came back and he said, okay, you just have to take it off store shelves because... If it's sitting next to Livingston Cellars, yeah. you know, someone may buy yours instead of ours. So that I highly doubt that. <laughs> but um, I said, fine, we'll do that. And so when, you know, we got to the five-year point, they get, that took us to the five-year point. And so when that happened, we took it out, and I, and I asked, I said, can I use Livy? Because I said, that's what they called, they called his grandmother Mr. Livy. So I said, can I use Livy instead? And they said, they said, okay, that's, that's not Livingston, you can use Livy so when we were able to rebottle it and put it in the new name and new label we put it in a blue bottle put Livy on it and told the story oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was fun but um but yeah i had i said well you know you all have more money than i'll ever have and i'll never be able to fight you in court but i said i will do this if you let me just have a couple of years so and they did and that was great so um so that was fun on that name and then what else we have sundown is a it was, um, actually, it was the epitaph for John Charles McNeil. It was about the sundown of his life. And that was, it's very interesting to read that. One. Um, the, the wine is a very mellow, even wine, you know, mouth-feeling wine. And um, and it just, you know, if you, you're not sure about muscadine, you're not sure whether you're sweet or dry, it's just right in between. It doesn't take you one way or the other. And his life was a very even life. And it was just a... You know, not a lot of things happening in his life, other than he just the way he saw life and the way, the way he reported it. So that was a good name for that one. And then um, Roseneath is our is a blush wine that we have. That was the name of the castle that Catherine Campbell lived in in Scotland. And so her father had gotten this rose-colored marble from Italy, and they built this castle. And they had roses all around it, so it was Roseneath. And so we have roses everywhere around the outside, so that we could follow that theme. And which ones have I missed? We have and um, hollyberry red. There are a lot of holly trees on the property. That's our Christmas wine, so that was a natural. Hollyberries were the thing that they decorated with all the time around here. So um, the and Campbell was Catherine Campbell was her family name. And um, tomorrow. tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, <laughs> that was a fun one. Tomorrow is actually tomorrow which is a friend of John Charles McNeil's. And he wrote a poem about all of their, um, all the things that you know they, could, they were going to be able to do the rest of their lives. And it was just a tribute to his friend Morrow. And so um, we did that as our, our fifth anniversary wine. And um, so we were looking forward to all the tomorrows of the winery. And mm. so, um, but we, we tell people, you know, it might be Name tomorrow, but you can drink it today. <laughs> so, I like they to like, say we're bottling tomorrow. <laughs> Put it off, right? <laughs> but that one, and then the other was Reminiscence. Um, that one is another one of his poems, and it was, a, it was remembering all the good things from the childhood and all the things. And I have um, all my nursing school buddies I went to college with. They all come down every year, and um, they descend on my house. And so... And i love having them it's the only time i get to see them but um and we've stayed together it's been over 50 years now since we got out of nursing school but they um they come and visit and so when we were doing reminiscence and i saw them all out on their floats out in the river i took a picture of them and it was perfect for that poem they were reminiscing as kids floating down the river down to the you know to the next landing and um and so they loved it because they they, feet up in the air and kicking them, <laughs> you know, and just having them the best time ever. And so that was on the reminiscence label. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, so all of the labels and all the wines have a wonderful meaning. And um, and it's, it's great that, you know, and our, all of our staff, they know the story, they all tell the story. And people are just fascinated that, you know, there's that much history in the area. You know, the canoe that sits up in the tasting room, that was the Madeline, and it's a 1927 Old Town canoe. It was a campus canoe. And um the canvas of course got rotted over the years, but we put it up there because it was an old family one that we had and it was a nice remembrance for the family. So so that's that's our story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Nani, let's go maybe go back through those wines and talk about um, you know, the dryness level, the sweetness level and maybe some food pairings with these.
3: Sure, that sounds great. So um, we'll start from the driest then. We'll talk about Christina's Magnolia, which is from the Magnolia grape. So you have some nice sort of grapefruity aromatics there. Um, It's a very dry, zero residual sugar. And it is really great with something that tends to be a little bit richer, maybe creamier goat cheeses, um, and just creamier foods in general. And the Riverton as well. That Riverton Estate is um, from Carlos, 100% Carlos, and it's also just a completely dry expression of that. And same thing, you have that low pH, the slightly moderate to higher acidity. And so again, that's a situation where you want something creamier because you're you're causing your taste buds to just sort of ache there and they're <laughs> craving something to help kind of coat that, that strength of the pH being so low. Um, and then we move on to our Livy Estate, which has just a little bit um, of residual sugar in it. It's very slight. We like to say that it pairs well with sushi, mm. which it truly seems to. It seems to be mm. like a nice, light, just like off-dry Riesling a little bit, and balance. yeah, mm. it's it's very balanced and it goes well with seafood, um, shellfish as well. And so that's that's a good one for for your fish dishes, for sure, lighter lighter dishes. And then um, we have Sundown, which is the, it has quite a bit of noble in it. And this is a wine I love a lot. I tend to, to land on Libby and Sundown when I'm making my choices. And Sundown, to me, believe it or not, has a true expression of ter- terroir. People think, oh, my, you know, Muscadine, they can't have terroir. It totally does. From year to year, all the years I've been here, we get this tobacco note, over and over like a cardamom note and blueberries and raspberries and it's always that very similar profile over and over again in really good years where the fruit's slightly stressed at the end where it didn't receive so much rain right up to harvest and you just get these very very luscious aromatics and so yeah I love love sundown very much some people that are very, very dry drinkers tend to think that it's a little too sweet for them, which which I beg to differ. I think it, it needs that little bit of sweetness with that low pH. It's somewhat like a Merlot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's... Um, a little bit lighter than mm-hmm. the Yeah, and so that pairs too with um, richer things. It's also outstanding with uh, very... Sauces. Yeah, creamy sauces, but also very aromatic like Asian foods. Hmm. So like, um, uh, I'm... A big fan of Indian food, <laughs> and I just I love the sundown with that. I think that's a very good pairing with it. Um, then we have uh, after that I would say mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. Catherine or oh, Catherine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Catherine, which tends to be again in that sweet spot of residual sugar balanced uh, with the with the pH and the acidity. And that one is a pretty good standalone um, drinker, but it's also starting to to be very nice with harder cheeses that are mm. richer, something maybe like Gruyere or maybe even a nice aged Gouda. I know, Some, Swiss. Ah, oh, is that yeah? Is that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bear that <laughs> So kind of the the richer, harder cheeses. Um, then. We start moving in towards slightly sweeter um, versions. Uh, and this is really still very food friendly then. So we move towards rosanith, which has a little bit of more residual sugar. That's our rosé. And it really, it's, it's very interesting too that rosés always have this one quintessential note that you're like, you know, maybe if you try to blindfold, who knows, a bunch of rosés next to each other, they have this one note. That is very consistent, even in muscadine. It's very surprising you'd find that there again, too. So um, so your regular pairings with rosés, it is a little bit sweeter. So you can have it, too, with, with spicier foods. It's very nice. Um, with, like, uh, Thai foods. <laughs> it's very good, sort of more delicate. And um, um, let's see. Then we have our Isabel, which mm-hmm. would come after the Rosaneath. It's a sweeter version of magnolia, and again we have those sort of grapefruit notes. It tends to not be so tropical fruit aroma as as the Carlos varietals. So you're not going to be totally whacked over the head with the the very very grape um, grapefruit forward aromatics as Carlos has with the Isabel. Not
2: As much acidity.
3: It's like hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and and just it's got like a. It's like, the yeah, yeah, like
2: the a Christina's. Yeah, like a Christina's magnolia, because it doesn't
3: yeah like a grapefruit note to it a little bit or like a peach note to it um so that uh is very nice also with um let's see whatever you would maybe pair with with a riesling basically because it kind of tends to go in that direction so like maybe an older riesling Mm -hmm. um Hmm. and it's going to be a little bit sweet like a sweeter uh, older riesling and then we have tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow, which is a blend of magnolia and carlos, which is our only blend of the the two grapes together. And it is really actually starting to get very lush um, and intense. So that's that's also to me personally, it's more of a standalone wine. You compare it with different things, but we're starting to kind of get into a higher sweetness level there, more um, richness and more um, fruit forward aromatics. So the wines going forward there are like Neal and Autumn. Or in autumn. Like autumn. Um, mm-hmm. They're all in that kind of richer, sort of sweeter, more of a texture and rounder mouth feel. Um, some people like to make um, like to make fruit wine or sangria out of it, maybe, um, or serve it chilled, even like extremely chilled, and. Um, make wine slushies out of it. I mean, it starts to get more into the realm of you can pair it with fruits, you can pair it with slightly sweeter things as well. Um, The autumn goes very well with a nice kind of milk chocolate um, sort of pairing there. And I like to say to people too that it's it's kind of really good with North Carolina pork barbecue (laughs) actually with the spicy sort of vinegar sauce that it has. I mean, people drink sweet tea anyway when they yeah. go out to eat barbecue. <laughs> and this yeah. autumn totally fits the bill for that. Um, and our McNeil coming up is also kind of in that range. Like I say, fried uh, fried foods like um, you know just fried chicken uh, It goes very well. For you. <laughs> with the sweeter
2: ones, that you know that's a palate preference, yeah, and they'll right. drink it with anything really. They're not. Yeah. They're not. Um, Taking those primarily to to pair it with because of acidity or because of flavor, right? Whatever. So they're drinking it because that's what they want to drink with
3: it. Sure. Oh so yeah, the spicy hot it. wings. It's really yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It'll cool you down. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. So it, you know, it definitely you could find a a pairing for it in a in a very traditional sort of Carolinian um, food setting. Like I don't know. Um, Maybe red, red beans and gum, I mean, okra and, and tomatoes or something like that. You can also kind of pair some of the wines with it. I think it would be very interesting to pair them with traditional foods from the area. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: They're made yeah. from a native grape, right. so you think foods that are right. grown up in the region would pair nicely. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen uh, a
2: lot of people drink Riverton and Christina's and all. And anything with a fruity balance like that or the fruit forwardness of it, they're going to, to drink with uh, barbecue and other southern dishes. And chicken, um, and I mean I've used I'll use Riverton in a lot of things that I'm you know if I have to use a white wine for yeah, fish yeah sure. kind of, yeah so I use it in that and when I make cranberry sauce I'll put that or I'll even use Catherine sometimes depending okay. on what I have available so um, so yeah I think they all go really it's just that fruit flavor that goes into it and um, but but on the fish it's usually the drier ones that I yeah on the fish, and it yeah really they're very does nice a there. nice job mm-hmm. crab dishes or anything. Like that. Mm,
3: crap. Yeah, okay, now I'm
2: getting hungry.
1: cheese. It's time for wine class with the Wine Mouths. Welcome back, Jesse and Jessica.
4: Thanks. Hi.
1: So, oh.
0: where are we with our grape uh, journey today?
4: So today, we'll be talking about Carmenet.
0: Okay, excellent.
4: Yeah. So, Carmenet is a fun grape. It's a hybrid grape that's actually a hybrid of a hybrid and a Vitis vinifera grape. In case you're wondering, what's a hybrid? A hybrid is a cross of two different vitis species. So, like Vitis vinifera and Vitis oh pestris, for example. Um, so, Traminet is, like I said, a hybrid of a hybrid. The hybrid that was used to make Traminet was called Joan Sev 23.416. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't
1: it? <laughs> Has some great marketability. Uh,
4: Yes, absolutely. Um, and that was a hybrid created by a guy named Joanne Seb, And it was numbered because it never really took off and got rebranded. So that was one part of the parent that was used to create Traminette. And the other part was Gewurztraminer. And Gewurztraminer is a, a disfiniferate grape that originated in Germany at the foothills of the Alps. So you've got Joanne Sev 23.416 and Gewürztraminer get together and make Chaminet. So that gives it some interesting flavors and aromas that we'll talk about kind of later. But the goal of this cross was to try to produce a large cluster table grape that would taste like Gewürztraminer. So long origin story.
0: Yes, quite the twists and turns there.
4: Yes, exactly. And some fun facts um, about. Joanne Sev. So he was a French biochemist and he created lots of hybrids, hence the numbers. But lots of other grapes and things are named after him. So he also created Chamberson and he came from a long line of other French biochemists. His dad and his brother also created hybrid grape varieties, some of which you might have heard of, including Saval Blanc and Viard Noir. Cool. So, yeah.
0: And it sounds like we owe a little bit of gratitude to him for his work.
4: Absolutely. So Traminette, the hybrid, was made in 1965 at the University of Illinois by H.C. Barrett. So it's got that long family line, but it's a pretty modern hybrid. So the seeds were sent to Cornell, and it was planted in 1968. Then the vine was, the original vine was propagated in 1974, and then the grape was officially released in 1996.
1: Wow, so it is really, really new. Wow. Yeah. Like I guess I didn't realize that
0: it was that new. I mean, I knew it came about in you know the 1900s, but...
1: So how does Traminette do in the vineyard?
5: So in the vineyard, it does really well, um, which is, you know, kind of tying back to the fact that it's a hybrid. So hybrids are often created because... Um, they want a grape that's going to be better in the vineyard. So you're taking your Vitus vinifera that you know tastes good, and you're combining it with a different Vitus variety that's native to North America, so it has different qualities that's going to make it grow well. Um, so Traminette specifically is more winter-hardy, so you'll see it grown some more further north. And it also, the big one for North Carolina, is it's more disease-resistant than its parent Gewürztraminer. So, you know, here in North Carolina, where we have downy mildew and powdery mildew and everything, it's more disease resistant. One fun fact about the Traminet berries is that it's important that they have sun exposure. So very good for North Carolina. But sun exposure is essential for um, getting a high concentration of monoterpenes, which I'll talk about when we talk about the winery, but that concentration of monoterpenes is is really important and the sun is what does that. So also a good thing about North Carolina and growing Traminet. And then because it grows really well, there's a lot of vigor. So canopy management is going to be really important. So you're going to have to do some more hedging and leaf pulling and shoot thinning and different things. So it will be a little bit of work in the vineyard because it's so vigorous, but it does really well overall.
0: Yeah, definitely a good choice to have in, in your vineyard if you're wanting something that's probably consistent and makes a good wine. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. So let's talk about in the winery.
5: So in the winery, I'll go back to the monoterpene. So that's an organic compound, and it's prevalent in Traminet. And that's what contributes to the high aromatics. So like a Verge demeanor, it's an aromatic wine, and those monoterpenes is what is what does that. So that's good. And with a a wine like that, you have a lot of options in the winery. You can do it in a variety of sweetness levels. So, I mean, even in North Carolina, we have dry Traminette and sweet Traminette. So you can go across the spectrum with it. With that, the acidity is what helps it balance some of the sweetness, too, if you want a sweeter Traminette. And then just a fun fact in the winery, there's some research that shows skin contact with the must is best, giving it a strong spice and floral aromatics that some of that's in the skins. You obviously don't want to do it long, but some of the research says like just 24 hours with the must kind of adds some more complexity to it.
1: I will say though, that I do enjoy a nice uh, kind of spicy and slightly floral traminette. So extended skin contact with that, I think really does kind of give it a nice boost and really brings out some of that Gewürztraminer parentage.
4: Yeah. Which is a great segue actually to flavors and food. So, With this hybrid grape, you know, we've talked about one of its parents is Gewürztraminer. So with that, what flavors come to mind for you guys, if you're thinking about Gewürztraminer?
0: So I would I would think like sushi or some sort of Thai food. um, Those Mm -hmm. are the kinds of things. So Asian dishes are kind of come to mind. But I really like it with sushi.
1: Yeah, same here. Anything with a little bit of spice or a little bit of some of those more um, exotic flavors, I think really kind of pair nicely.
4: Mm hmm. Yeah, that kind of lines up with what we were recommending, too. So with Traminate, you can get aromas and flavors of lychee, apricot, honey, so that spice and floral, citrus, white peaches, you know, anything like that might go well with, like you mentioned, sushi, Thai food. So one of Jesse and I's favorite dishes is Massaman curry. There's this restaurant we used to go to in Greensboro all the time that makes really good Massaman curry. And that would pair really nicely with a traminette. I think sushi, oh, that sounds really tasty. Even chili or other spicy foods might go well with a sweeter traminette. I could
0: see that. Yeah, and I I would think that a sweeter traminette and some apple pie might be a nice pairing.
4: Ooh. Mm -hmm. I'll have to try that and report back.
1: Please do. One thing that we've had someone tell us about Gewürztraminer pairing is that it would go really well with a Caesar salad. Um, so I think it would be interesting to see how a Tremonette does with Caesar salad too.
0: Yeah. We have yet to try the Caesar salad recommendation though, but it's definitely on our list.
1: So. We could do a side by side. We'll do a grocery winner and a Tremonette that and have a Caesar a salad.
4: <laughs> and apple pie for dessert. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> so one of my, uh, guilty pleasures, comfort food wise is Trader Joe's frozen Pollock paneer. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever tried that? no. no oh man it is like ridiculously good I think but I think that would pair really nicely with a terminate
1: I could see that you have some of those really warm spices I'm guessing from the garlic the mm-hmm. paneer and then it's with that spicy kind of subtle sweet floral aromatic of the wine I could see that going really nicely
4: yeah and the tang of the paneer cheese mm-hmm. it could be really good so you know, <laughs> just pop some of that in the microwave and your <laughs> nice bottle of terminate and and uh, a little bit of a high-low pairing, perhaps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with pairing wine with comfort food. I think that's some of the best way. I mean, it's it's comfort food because it makes you feel good. And if you're going to drink something that mm-hmm. makes you feel good, that just adds to the comfort.
4: <laughs> for sure.
1: So any final thoughts on Tremonet?
4: Um, No, um, I think it's a great one for North Carolina. It does well here and can be produced in a variety of different ways. It makes it a great fit for our state.
1: We absolutely agree. agree. Well, Jesse and Jessica, this has been a great time. Thank you very much.
4: Thanks for having us.
1: You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. So something that we talked a little bit about earlier and hinted at were expansions. So... Talk to us a little about about the expansions that are going on here. Yeah.
2: Well, we you know, in uh, two thousand and eighteen when, when Hurricane Florence hit and then um, Hurricane Michael hit right behind that and then we had rain for eight months. <laughs> we had to do a few things to you know, we had a little bit of roof damage and, and uh, we had some other, you know, things that had happened and our pond was overflowing and our stage had to come down. We had to change that into a different grotto, move it up the hill away from the pond. So you know, we made some adjustments there, um, and then our biggest adjustment we had to do was in the tank room, and so um, we decided um, they could get in there to take you know the roof off or whatever, but that was like taking the oven away from the cake when we were, you know, they said, just move your tanks out, and, and I said, well, we sort of can't do that, <laughs> and so you know, the, the, um, they all would have to be drained and then emptied and back into, and I, we have no place else to put them. So, um, and the, to put um, scaffolding in over top of that to be able to work on the ceiling and the roof, they um, they said that you know it would cost about three hundred thousand dollars for you know scaffolding, and I said, ah, I could put a building up for that. So um, we were able to put a building up with uh, SBA disaster money, and um, and we were able to move those out. And so once everything is out of there and clean, so we can then change, you know fix the roof and do those kinds of things and um but that expansion also helped us to go forward with some of the things we wanted to do anyway and um it was just you know i guess it was time and god said here you go (laughs) i'm gonna fix it for you so um so we did that and we had we have a about a seven thousand square foot um, expansion that we did for a new lab and uh, the new building and what we're looking forward to is to being able to do more uh, custom crush and getting some, you know, drier wines out to some of the other wineries in North Carolina so they have some, a good representation of what the grape tastes like and what it can be and, you know, so that it fits their fit, flavor profiles that, are, that they're serving in their wineries. Um, so um, we would like to see that happen. We have some new wineries that are coming along that we're working with and making wine for them so we, you know, we hope to be able to do that for more people, um, and get the word out more about the muscadine and how, how great it can be in different forms. So um, that, you know, that's and we've we've been working on this now since 2019, and um, and it's been with COVID and the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. It's taking us a little while, but we still have some other things to do. We're going to be adding a small event space for the inside, and then. Um, more bathrooms and um, what else? Is, oh, brides' changing room and some other things. So once we do all that, then we'll be you know we'll be set for another year. They yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always say if you want to be a millionaire in the wine business, you start out as a billionaire, Right. <laughs> and so then you get to be that millionaire one day. <laughs> so you, you don't you know you never make any money until you stop expanding. But you know as long as we're expanding, that means you know people like our wine and exactly. people want to keep coming back and they want more and more so we're going to give it to them Very cool mm-hmm.
0: so let's talk about one of the big events you have on a regular basis, jazzy friday jazzy friday yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: that's been that's been um something that we started way back in 2005 and i think we've been in business about six months and because we're a little bit off the beaten path um, and but we're close to major metropolitan areas. And we have Fayetteville, we have Pinehurst, we have um, certain, we have Robertson County is not too far away, and uh, Pembroke. And so there are places, and, but yet people needed to find out who we were and where we were. And um, so we decided to do something, and we came up with the name Jazzy Friday because we had weddings that were on Saturdays and. You know we couldn't do anything on a regular basis and when we first started we were we did it once a month and it was so popular and but we had it inside we didn't have a tent at the time and we had um we had it inside and we could hold you know we started out i think our first crowd was 40 people we thought wow this is great and then we had 50 people the next time and then it got to 75 people and then like man this is unbelievable and we all didn't know what to do and this is back in 2005 six and then um we then we spilled over into the tasting room so we put speakers out there and the band was in that little corner in the in the tank room actually is where we first started the world and so it was, it was like a coffee house and you know, people loved it. And there was a little tiny dance floor area and we would serve hors d'oeuvres. And so it got to be a little bit costly for us, but, um, people got into it and they really enjoyed it. And then in 2008, it was getting so big and people were out on the patio. So we put more speakers out on the patio and they were listening out there. And, um, and then I, we thought, okay, you know, we had a tent up for a wedding and we thought, well, let's do Jazzy Friday out in the tent. Well, you know that was the end of it, and you know, after that, we put up a, a new tent um, which stayed up from 2008 until 2013 when the ice storm took it down. It was a fair barn tent, and it was a uh, 40 by 100, I think it was. And then the next one we put up, we because we leave them up all the time, um, we had to get something sturdy, so we had a, a future track tent put up on the concrete floor. and. So we had this wonderful dance floor and big area and sliding panels. We thought we were in heaven. <laughs> so, so we've had that tent. That's a 5,000 square foot tent. And so, or no, I'm sorry, 4,000 square foot tent still. And um, and so, but we have Jazzy Friday every Friday night now. It, um, and when we had pandem- the pandemic, people really missed it. And even though they knew things weren't going on, they still called here every week. Are you having Jazzy Friday? It's Jazzy Friday. And when we started out, it started out with jazz music but the jazz band that we had was just a three, four piece band sometimes. And people wanted to do some dancing. So they would play some, you know, some popular songs. And so people got into that. And then um, as time went on in the tent, they wanted more dance music and more dance music. And so then then we started getting some other bands that were beach music bands. And we've had jazz maybe once a year now. (laughs) So it's just people want to dance and that's, you know, there are certain bands that they love and, um, we have uh, the Sand Band is one of our big bands that comes all the time, and Cat 5, and Jim Quick and the Coastline, and Entertainers, and Black, uh, Blackwater. And, uh, there's just so many great ones that are around, and everybody wants to play here now. So we usually have anywhere from three to 500 people that show up on Friday night. So, we, um, of course, we, we had a few rough years after the hurricanes, and a lot of people in this area had a lot of damage and a lot of things going on. So, you know, things slowed down a bit then, and but, you know, we've opened up again on the 2nd of April. We started back on our every Friday nights. And, you know, of course they've lifted the restrictions and everything is is good mm-hmm. and people that haven't been vaccinated, we still ask them to wear their mask and, you know, so people social distance and because it's the tent is wide yeah, open and right. everybody's out on the lawn and under the tent. Um, it's all it's all very safe and um And we've never had anyone have any issues, but, you know, but they love it and they come out and we've had, you know, since we've gone back, there's been three to four hundred that have been showing up. So we think that, you know, people are anxious to get out. (laughs) But yeah, it's always been a success for us. It's always been something that um, we've enjoyed doing and we look forward to doing. We have food trucks that come in and so people can get food while they're here and then we have a full bar that's out there and people can get their, their wine so it's a 21 and over event we don't um, we don't have children coming in so it's, it's just a wonderful safe island with stars night and people love it very so cool. it's been very popular for us we've set a precedent that we do it all the time and other people now are seeing that it's a very successful thing and very popular but it's a big undertaking Oh, yeah. No, sure, yeah. You, yeah, you, you get to a point where you it's, it's like a machine. You know, it runs right. well, you keep it oiled, and it runs well. And when people first start out, I'm sure they're very overwhelmed when they try to do something like that. But once you get into it, once you do it, and you know your crowd, and you know what to do, and you've got the movement going, and you've got everything, um, I think we, we work pretty well. So we have a great team here, good, good people working, and they have fun while they're doing it, and they even dance up behind the bar. <laughs> so, yeah. All good. And if you want to learn how to line dance, we have great people that can teach you how to line dance and shag. And of <laughs> so, course, with that beach yeah, music. That's know, right. That's
1: right. Oil.
0: that's right. So both of you are involved with a number of organizations mm-hmm. for, in the wine industry, particularly here in North Carolina. So maybe talk a little bit about those organizations. Okay. I'm thinking the Wine and Grape Council, right. Wine Growers, right. Muscatat
2: Association. Right. right. Well, ever, ever since we started business, uh, Dan and I decided we needed to be involved with the industry, and so we immediately, um, like I said, we went to a muscadine association meeting prior to us starting all of this, and just found the resources to be tremendous and the people. And so, um, but you know, there and there was an organization. It was sort of in a not a fledgling state, but it was you know there was more stuff coming down the pike, and we. We could, as business people, we saw, you know, they didn't have a business plan. They didn't have these different things. And so we talked with a few of them about it. And so that led to um, someone calling. I think it was David Fussell called my husband and said, we would like, you know, you to be on the board. And he said, well, you know, I really don't have time, but my wife would really enjoy doing that. (laughs) And so so I became, um, I think, secretary or something on the board way back then in 2005 or six. And um, and then right after that, I became president and had several terms as president of the Muscadine Association. And we did a lot of work. We did the first strategic plan for North Carolina with the Muscadines, and we had a huge um, uh, membership at that time. And so um, everything was great because Muscadine was becoming the you know the soup of the day word, and you know people wanted to know all about it. And they were out, you know, they they thought things were just going to break wide open with the nutraceutical side and everybody was running out to plant muscadine, but they didn't know what to plant, and we wanted to make sure they, they planted what we needed and what we were going to use in the industry. And um, so we, you know, we helped people along with that, and um, we, see, we saw a big expansion at that time. So we helped a lot of people getting started in the business during that. Um, and During that time, Dan uh, became part of the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council, so he was on the board for a couple of terms. And um, Nadia came along and she we, we got her involved in the Wine Growers Association. And so she was on the board for, um, for a few years with them. And then the last four years, I've been on the North Carolina Grape and Wine Council and have been doing the, the, the chair of the Research and Development Committee. And so we've been doing a lot of things there. And now I'm, my tenure for that is off. and hopefully we're going to get Nadia to be able to join in there too. So that way we can stay in touch and help the industry to continue to grow. And so we've seen, like I said, we were number 46 when we were involved and started with the winery and have seen it grow to what is it now, 290 or something. Um, so it, you know, it's really, um, it's growing every day. And, um, <laughs> so um, but you know, it's just been a it's a been a pleasure to be part of all that and to be part of you know, going to places and doing um, talks and and just informing people and letting them know, especially about the muskite. And so it's been a, it's been a big pleasure to be able to do that.
3: Yeah, it's a really wonderful experience to be able to uh, network with other people, and find opportunities within mm-hmm. it, and learn from what other people are doing and. Help them out with things that they need help with, but it's um, something interesting that we're doing with the Muscadine Growers Association right now is we're putting together a uh, quality winemaking program to kind of help and educate folks that are um, interdis- inter- excuse me that are <laughs> interested in producing their own wines. Um, it tends to be here in the U.S. and, and as a winemaker, um, I, I think about that quite often. Is that Sometimes folks can just say, um, "I'm going to be a winemaker today <laughs> and right. quit their day job and start yeah. a winery." Put but on it, their, you don't necessarily have to go to school or you know have a proper education or a proper certificate for that. So you know that um, that could be challenging for the industry as a whole if somebody's producing wine that isn't on par. And so to kind of help prevent that, we just want to take people under the wing and talk to them about you know this is this is a great place to learn about how to you know, get into winemaking and, and some of the steps you should take. And because Muscadine is so unique, they may think, hey, maybe this is a different process than what we're used to. But um, we just want to make sure everybody's on par uh, with their quality and in um, their level of understanding when it comes to producing Muscadine wines. So this uh, series of uh, courses is going to start in June. Um, I believe June 6th kicks it off. And it'll go um, through July, and we're probably going to skip over August, September with the harvest coming up, and we'll be getting back into it again. We're going to start with the, the vineyards. We're going to ask for uh, folks to give us samples of their fruit as it's ripening, and they're going to take those samples to uh, Shadow Springs, where they'll then be analyzed by the um, fabulous new um, FOSS analyzation system that they've got in place there to really... Mm-hmm. Look at all the different different, uh, chemical aspects of of the the fruit then. Um, Because there's also issues with is the fruit properly ripened when you're ready to pick it and how to understand that it is properly ripe. Because often we'll have, you know, uh, winemakers in the States receive fruit. Um, Muscadine is very hard to judge when it is ripe. It is not like vinifera. It has uneven ripening patterns. And that that tends to kind of... um, turn turn out often and more often than not, then folks kind of want to pick it earlier than they should and you wind up getting then fruit that isn't exactly mature enough to make wine with. So just certain steps along the way and in the processing, what you need, what equipment you need and and what you need in your lab to understand what your wine is doing. Um, steps along the way that so that people understand how to make higher quality wines and, and how to kind of guide how to guide to guide these folks and, and help them so that's this something we're looking forward to is this wine quality series for muscadine winemaking very the wine cool. Cool. well
2: that was that the, the, the uh, council had actually you know taken it on as a proposal and so it was suggested that something like this was needed for you know the, you know quality has a a little bit of a is a misnomer sometimes since everyone has a different palette and so we were talking about this yesterday at the meeting you know you people are calling some things like if they don't like the particular taste of a wine they they say well the quality this is not have the quality well that's not that might not be true it mm-hmm. might be a very well balanced wine and it might be perfect but it's just not their taste you know i'm not a very sweet wine drinker i i prefer dry wines but i will taste them and i won't say it's good or bad but i'm not a good judge of it you know i I feel like you know if you put something that's um, from semi-sweet to dry to for me, I can judge it better than a very sweet wine. So, but some people with sweet wines, you yeah, they'll say, that, "Oh, that's uh, that's awful." <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. <why laughs> when I a wine, mm-hmm. so so quality, you know, you, it, it's you know the consumer can't really tell quality a lot of times. So, um, but we we have found that there are some people that like, like you said they wake up and they put on their winemaker hat and they go off and make wine and it may not be the best thing and we're fortunate to have a very qualified winemaker here and um and so we're very proud that we can say we do make wine here and um, (laughs) and there are people that you know just think that it's there's it's not rocket science but even with the muscadine it is rocket science there are things that can be done and there are smells and there are you think sight you know things that you see and you and you feel with the grapes and um, and people need to learn those, and so that was one thing that you know that we felt with as the council, it was a good proposal to support and to fund because it's going to be something for there's there isn't anywhere else for the muscadine grower to go or the muscadine maker to go to learn about the muscadine, and that's why we're doing these other studies and trying to get the flavor profiles and the and the um, acidity profiles and things like that, so that. We can better understand it as a real wine grape, and so that's this whole process. And with the Wine um, Muscadine Association doing this, is going to turn out better winemakers and help them to know. And there's mentors around that can help them. I mean, there are people that can say, mm-hmm. "Yeah, here's what you know, I, you know we could probably do." And a lot. And one other thing that people do is they, you know, if they have a small winery and they make a batch of wine and it may not turn out. Well, they've got a lot of money invested in that batch of wine and they're not going to dump it mm-hmm. you know they're going to put it out there and so if we can find uh, a way to teach them faults or a way to teach them you know how to judge what's happening as the line goes on by smell or sense then you know we find that then we'll make a better winemaker and they can put out a better product but it's you know it's just the development of the product that we're after is to make sure that they're doing it the correct way. So, and and like I said, quality is a little bit of a, we're trying to find a better word than quality to call it because it's, you know, people will say, oh, North Carolina just doesn't have quality wines. Well, we do have quality wines here and on the vinifera side and on the musculine side um, and people are making good product. But people need to understand there's preferences, Mm -hmm. you know, and people like different things. So we just have to make sure that when we do give them something, it's doesn't have a fault and it doesn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. But you know, but we're finding it's happening in some areas, but we're hoping to be able to eliminate it by doing these kinds of things. Yeah. So and that's what the council's there for and it's there to help and to find that. And when you see a problem, you try to you try to help them do something about it. And then you have good people like Nadia that are right there to help you along with it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you just can't buy her from me.
3: She's not <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <like> going anywhere. <laughs>
1: So we're kind of winding down on the questions. Um, We typically like to end with a couple sets. Um, So what has left some of the biggest impact on you over the years?
2: Just hearing and seeing people enjoy what we put out there. You know, and people come in here and exclaim how beautiful everything is and oh, the wines are wonderful. And, And actually, when I was in the grocery store one time and watching my wines on a conveyor belt, in front of me and somebody was actually buying our wine. <laughs> was just, that was a that was a neat feeling and you know, one time Dan and I were were on an airplane and heard people talking about this great place that they had been and had some wonderful wines and they had this wonderful thing called Jazz and Friday. <laughs> and, you know, we're sitting in a row behind these people and so it was just it was fun to hear that, you know, we created something that people have taken in and, and, and enjoyed and, and you know want to come back to. And so that's been I think that's been the biggest thing, and the fact that we've created a name for the Muscadine in a different sense—that we have taken it to a different level and <clears throat> have it, have made a different expression with it—and and, and uh, people are enjoying it more than they would if they just if it were just a sweet wine. Perfect. So. And Nadia, how about
3: for you? Um, I always think back to it was the opening of the North Carolina Wine Month, and um, we we were pouring wine. You all were there as well. And um, I believe it was Serge from Jacques. He's a very fine uh, uh,
2: yes, French in chef yeah.
3: in Raleigh. He came up and he tasted our wines, and he tasted the Catherine. And he was like. You know, I like to work with ingredients that are an expression of of what the actual ingredient is. Like a carrot should taste like a carrot and it should, you know, have great flavor and so forth. And he was like, this is a great expression of this grape and, and this wine and how muscadine should taste and everything. And I've been like, yes, he gets it. Somebody gets it. <laughs> so it's always those experiences where yeah. somebody realizes what, what you're on to that really kind of you know, brighten your day and bring the rainbow out and just make you so happy. Oh, and that's, Catherine
2: has won the cup two times. Okay. So, yeah, so
3: that, and with what he said, that
2: just brings home, right? Yeah. We, we, we hit it on that one. Yeah. So, that was a good
1: one. So. so what is it you want customers to know when they come visit Cypress Vineyards?
2: We're here for them. <laughs> you know, we're here to give them an experience. Um, and, yeah, you know, when we first opened, I was worried about opening the doors and what questions people are going to ask and what, you know, how how are we going to handle things? And as people came in, I found that, you know, not everyone knows everything about wine. And we've been able to give people an experience that they can enjoy and they don't feel pressured into thinking that they have to be a wine expert or a wine judge and that they can enjoy the experience of having a bottle of wine. So, and we've had some first-time wine drinkers that have come in they've never had wine before and you know they're usually beer or they're liquor or something and um and they just you know they find wines that they like they find favorites and i think that's been that has been a, that's what you know I, I want them to find a favorite when they leave here so, and they usually do so it's that's been, that's been the fun part
0: so what do you most look forward to in the future
3: a vacation, <laughs> <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen. Yeah,
2: I don't, I, don't I don't know. In this industry, I don't know. That's why that's why we built that house on the river, so we wouldn't have to go anywhere. I mean, right. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Now, I in the future, I want I just want it to continue to grow. I want it to you know to be um, still the the best and have a good name and be a place that people still want to come to. I don't want to have to go down and struggle back up, uh, you know, we're, we're on the, we're, we're up there and we, you know, we want to stay there. And we, um, we hope that we do everything to please people. And you can't please all pallets, but you know, you can please the people for the experience and, um, and still have our, our, maintain our crew that we have and, and um, make people feel like they're welcome when they come. So that's, I think that's all we can hope for in the future. No COVID, no, <laughs> you know, no other bioterrorist things <laughs> stay away <laughs> put up the cross
0: <laughs> and
2: Nadia?
3: well I'm, I'm just hoping that we're going to always continue to have a broader um, interest in the grape seeing as it is a indigenous grape and heirloom grape that hopefully that is going to generate interest and bring more people that are um, looking at looking at this with those kind of eyes, <laughs> right. that this is something special and unique. Because there's, I mean, the potential is out there, it is everywhere you go, you see people uh, looking at what's around them and, and really starting to appreciate it more and really showcase it more. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that for the future that, that that really that really happens in a big way around here. It's, yeah. it's North Carolina's um, heritage, it's North Carolina's uh, legacy. And it really needs to be appreciated by, mm-hmm. by everybody here and respected. And yeah, that's absolutely. yeah, and that's yeah, you know, that's
2: one of the big future things is knowing I think we're on that way to do that. I think we're on the way to you know for people to understand that it's just not a, a great a foxy grape. Um, I really don't like that term. But um, it's not and yeah, I mean because the foxes eat it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's yeah, you know, as Nadia said, it's you know it's getting there, and we've seen it in the in the on the nutraceutical side. We've seen it in the medical research, and we've seen it doing all these wonderful things because of the you know the the characteristics of the grape and the chemical compounds that are in the grape, and it, you know it's it's just amazing what it does, and um, so I think that, and, and it's only been sixteen years for us since. All of this really has started to develop, and I think that's a pretty young stage, you know, for a development of something that's going to be around for a long time. I mean, some of these grapes that have come over from Europe have been around, you know, a long time, thousands of years. So, you know, I, I just think that we will get there, and I think we're on the right track, and people are involved, and more and more people are looking at it. And the University of Florida and Arkansas and Mississippi, in Georgia, I mean, there's so much research going on, and so many people are getting involved in the grape, that it's, you know, we're actually, you know, hoping that we can start some type of a national grape organization, so I think, or Muscadine Grape Association, so, um, and, and we tried that before, but we just didn't have all of the, you know, things going on that are going on now, so we see a whole lot more now than we did before, and that's, you know, I, the future's here, I mean, we're going to see it get better.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: So tell folks how to find you both
0: physically and virtually, okay. and where they might find your wine besides the tasting.
2: Well, the wine is all across North Carolina. If you go into a store, um, we are distributed by Johnson Brothers in North Carolina, and they only distribute four North Carolina wines, and we're one of them. And they go from the, you know from coast to mountains and top to bottom. So if you don't see it in one of your stores where you luckily buy, um, just tell them that we are distributed by Johnson Brothers and that they can get it in if they just you know ask for it. So the wine manager in any place, any store. We have it in the Total Wine Stores. Um, we have it um, Yeah, there's lots of, I can't name all the places of that course. it's in because you know, they, they put it out where I don't even know where it is mm-hmm. but it, you should find it. If you don't you ask for it because most of the North Carolina sections in these stores like Harris Teeter and Food Lion and Walmart and else they're selling wines, um, Lowe's, Foods, and things like that, um, they will have it. And if they don't, like I said, just ask and tell them that you know it's a major distributor in North Carolina that's putting it out there. So um, we're winery we direct as well with the yes. total wine and more. And you know we can we ship um, to forty different states in the United States. So we have an online um, which is www.cypressbendvineyards.com. just make sure you have the E in vineyards and the S on the end of that, and then you'll get to it. Um, And we go through a third-party shipper called Vino Shipper, so everything is shipped in different places, and um, so there shouldn't be any worry of getting it to anyone. Um, um, And we're in Wagram, North Carolina, which um, is, don't blink when you come through, (laughs) because you might miss the turn. Um, but it, you know, right down 401. So 401 is a major highway from Fayetteville to South Carolina. And, um, and so we're right off of 401 in Wagram. And if you're coming down 401, it's uh, 55 miles an hour until you hit Wagram, and then you're at 35. So you'll know you're here. You have arrived. (laughs) And so when you get into the middle of town, the the biggest metropolis that we have is Nick's Pickwick. (laughs) But that Nick's Pickwick has said, or has been, our state um, quotes them as having the best fried chicken Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. So if you're looking for good fried chicken, get some fried chicken. Come on down (laughs) to the winery and have a picnic. We can have some wine that will go along with that. we're just a mile and a half down from nick's (laughs)
0: and you're on facebook instagram we're on facebook
2: instagram and twitter and uh, please like us follow us and you'll get all the information if you want um, any information about our jazzy fridays uh, go to the website or instagram we usually put something out when they're coming up once a month we'll put out a full calendar and then we do some reminders throughout um, and let you know who the bands are and you can also go online to the website and find the schedule for the rest of the year. So. Cool. We also have a um, a fall festival that's coming up this fall, um, which I don't remember the date. Is it an 18th? Is that a September? I, I, I don't sorry. remember. Um, but it's coming up the third weekend in September, and um, and we usually have you know all kinds of vendors and food trucks and wine tastings and bands. So it's a great. Great fun time. We didn't have one last year, so we hope to be able to get that through this year. So we were planning it, and um, that's another great time to come out and enjoy the harvest. Pick your own grapes. We do pick your own from about the end of August through September. So people love to do that. It'll be fun. Very cool. Yep.
0: And maybe also tell folks kind of where Wagram is in the state. It's in
3: Scotland County.
2: Wagram is in Scotland County, and uh, let's see, we're about... Uh, it's about 90 miles below Raleigh. If you're going south, or below Pinehurst by about 27 miles. So if you're in the Pinehurst, you can know where Pinehurst is. And if you head south on 15501, you'll come down to um, towards Laurenburg. And we're about 10 miles north of Laurenburg. And um, we are about, about 27 miles off of 95. So um, if you come across 95 or 74, we have highway signs on 74. They'll direct you up 401 or come in. If you're going west, it'll bring you up um, a different little way coming back into us, um, which is a little scenic way. And then if you go on, if you're coming out, you can go to 401. You can go down a mile or two up and get on 401. But yeah, so it should be easy to find. And we're on the North Carolina winery guide. If you go to visit... NC or visit, not visit, it's ncwine.org. I should know that one by heart. <laughs> NCwine.org. Um, and that has all of the winery listings there, and we're listed with them. Um, and what else? Like Just here.
3: go on
0: down and visit. Yes. yes. All That's the time. That's right.
2: That's right. That's right. We are open seven days a week, and we're open from 12 to 5 every day, 10 to 5 on Saturdays, and 12 to 5 Sundays through the rest of the week. And then Friday nights, the gates open at 6, and the music goes from 7 until 10. And at 10 o'clock, you need to go somewhere. You don't have to go home. You have to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we'd love to have you anytime. Perfect.
1: Well, we appreciated the, the yeah. visit today, and thank you very
3: much for, for being here. Thank on you Tom. for
2: being here. We're so glad you came.
3: Yeah, thank you. It's always good to see you guys. <laughs>
1: that's it for this episode of Cork Talk.
0: Thanks again to Tina and Nadia. They're making some really great wine, and we highly recommend that you make a visit.
1: If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve.
0: Did you know, we have a Patreon page. You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash Cork Talk.
1: And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys.
0: Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers. Cork Talk is a Freedom LLC production.
1: This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.